Recently on the Renovare website, we've been running excerpts from Trevor Hudson's book, Pauses for Lent. And I want to share with you a talk he gave that really moved me. Now it's serious, but really, really helpful. There's something about Trevor's gentle pacing and his South African accent. I find it makes a challenging subject inviting. I encourage you to take your time with this one. He offers a few pauses for reflection. You may want to really dig in, turn it off, pray, journal. At least that's how I listen to it. I want to give special thanks to our friends at Dwell and Chad Lawson for the background music in today's episode. You may remember Dwell. It's a Bible listening app. It's become a real favorite among the Renovari staff. You can find the app on the iTunes store or by visiting their website, dwellapp.io. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovari Podcast. Well, friends, if you've got a a Bible with you, uh, I'd like to uh, just take you into a story uh, for a few moments, and maybe we can inhabit this gospel story for 20 minutes or so and pray and trust that that as we do that we we perhaps open ourselves up a little bit to to Christ meeting us in our own um, sadness our own pain our own tears and I'd like to read you one of my favorite stories Um, Chris was talking about gnawing at a bone um, how that so often that's what we do with scripture and certainly this has been one of those texts that I've stayed with often. So let me read it to you, John chapter 20 and I'm going to read from verse 11. It's very familiar to you, I'm aware of that. Mary stood outside the tomb and as she wept, She bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying. One at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they've laid him. And when she had said this, she she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Some texts, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, take me Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned. It's the second time you hear that word turned in the story. She turned and she said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. 
Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So I'm going to invite you, if you do have a Bible, to maybe just keep it open there uh, for a few moments. When I uh, kind of changed from financial ministry at Firestone to pastoral ministry, uh, I had to uh, go to university. I was in my mid-twenties and uh, started my own university education at Rhodes University in South Africa. Uh, And when I finished that, or the first part of it, I was about 28, 29 years of age, and I had a few months' break before I went to my first appointment, and I was able to come to Washington in the USA for the first time. And I worked in a small little church called the Church of the Saviour in Washington, D.C., one of these small little churches that had a tremendous impact upon the city wonderful Southern Baptist minister uh, by the name of Gordon Cosby uh, who lived uh, into his 90s and died a few years ago. But I was with him for a number of months kind of tracking him and watching him at work, learning from him, my craft. And uh, on my way back to South Africa, I had my last cup of coffee with him. And... uh, I said to him, I've only asked three people this question. I I asked him, I said, Gordon, do you have a word for me? Now, there are many people who've had words for me that I haven't asked for. (laughs) Uh, But I have asked three people uh, for a word. You know that in the kind of ancient church, the desert fathers and mothers, you'd have the Abba or the Amma. And often people would go to them and say, give me a word. And you'd get one word and you live with that word for the rest of your life. You know, like weep for your sins. <laughs> and you spend the rest of your life uh, integrating uh, that one word into your life. Well, I waited for Gordon. Uh, Gordon, do you have a, a word for me? Going back to South Africa, uh, beginning my life as a pastor, And then he spoke some words to me that kind of scorched their way uh, into my heart. Never forgotten them. And there is seldom a moment whenever I stand up to speak or to preach that those words don't echo uh, in my heart. And these were the words when he said to me. He said, Trevor, whenever you teach, whenever you preach, Do not forget that every person sits next to their own pool of tears. I have never forgotten those words. Don't ever forget that every person, every person, sits next to their own pool of tears. And so I have a very real awareness uh, mid-afternoon 
that each one of us uh, in this um, in this church sits next to their own pool of tears, and I certainly share with you with my own pool of tears uh, alongside of me as well. I begin like this because Christ has a way of meeting us in our tears. Christ has a way of meeting us in our tears. That's why I choose this gospel story. Did you notice how it began? It begins with Mary weeping. She's next to her pool of tears. That's how the story begins. The story ends, and it's quite a remarkable story. The story ends, she goes on a journey really, and we're going to track it a little bit. The story ends with her living beyond her tears. Uh, She becomes the first minister of the resurrection in the New Testament. Uh, Tom Ryan, who I really do enjoy, he's a New Testament scholar, says that one of the surest signs for him of the historicity of the Gospels is who would cast a woman in the leading role in first century Judaism. Unless it happened. Unless it happened. And so you watch Mary... Uh, She's next to her pool of tears. And then there is this encounter with the one who lives beyond crucifixion. And then there's a sense of her moving into ministry. So as I lived with this story, and I again lived with it last night, I have felt drawn to just stay with three movements in the story. And maybe as I stay with them, I can invite you to come and to participate with me in this gospel story. Keeping yourself just a little bit open to being surprised on a Saturday afternoon by the living one in our own tears. I want you, here's the first movement. I want you to notice that when that story opens up, Mary is weeping. Just want you to notice that. She's weeping. She stands next to her pool of tears. There are many levels, I think, to her grief. And I've often, I've often just meditated on Mary and her tears. She's, she, she, she's in grief herself. She has lost someone who, who gave her back her life, who restored her, who, who gave her that wild, wild joy. She has lost that one. And she's in grief. My sense also is that she's grieving for Jesus himself. 33 years of age, 
crucified, executed in the prime of his life. She's in grief for him. I think she's grieving for her nation. Her nation had longed for a Messiah. Someone who would come, bring hope and liberation. And the one that she and others had pinned their hopes on had been crucified. Had been crucified. So I think there are levels to her tears. Dimensions to her grief. And I want you just to have some sense of that. She's in an experience of profound loss. I remember when I was at Rhodes University for the first time, I was there for four years, um, we were allowed one non-theological subject. And the one that I chose uh, was social work. Uh, It was kind of plan B if plan A didn't work out. So I spent um, four years uh, in the social work department. Had a wonderful professor of social work. Wonderful. And then she knew that I was kind of on the pastoral track. And one day she came across to me and she said these words to me. She said, Trevor, if you ever want to be a good pastor, you really need, and I think there was a bit of an echo here of those words that I heard from Gordon Cosby. She said, if you really want to be a good pastor, you need to be willing to enter deeply the human experience of loss. Our lives, you know, if you just think about a natural human life, it's like a series of losses. (laughs) You get born and you lose that security of the womb. Go to school. You lose the familiarity of home. You leave school and you go to work and you lose some of the safety of school. Some people get married and lose the possibility of many options. Uh, Certainly getting older, uh, it's an experience of diminishment. Uh, many, Many diminishments. Just experiencing them very, very deeply. But whose life is ordinary? That's just an ordinary life. But who of us have had an ordinary life only? And just think of the layers of loss built on those natural losses the loss of innocence through abuse, the loss of a friendship through betrayal, the loss of a marriage through divorce, the loss of hope through constant failure, the loss of a country through exile, the loss of a job through retrenchment, the loss of a loved one through death. 
just layers, 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 layers of loss. And so I want to suggest, just in this first movement, that Mary represents each one of us here today. Each one of us. And maybe just for a few moments, in the quiet, you can either rest because maybe you're tired, but maybe you would just want to begin to allow Mary to represent you, just for a few moments. And because I don't want to kind of just have a privatized spirituality, maybe I can invite you to think of someone else right at this moment that you know has experienced loss deeply. And I just want you for a few moments just to be with Mary in the story, weeping. Let's just take some time. Two, three minutes of quietness. Let Mary become for you a representative. Or for yourself and for someone else as well. Just for a few moments. The second movement. I want you in that gospel story to notice how Jesus comes to her. I want you to notice Jesus' approach to Mary. Notice that he doesn't um, condemn her for her tears. Uh, There's no word of condemnation at all. Notice that he doesn't try to fix her up. 
notice that he, he doesn't move into a kind of addictive helpfulness. Notice that. Just notice that. Notice that he doesn't try to cheer her up. He doesn't say to her, for goodness sake, Mary, can't you see it's Easter Sunday morning? Put a smile on your face. None of that. None of that. He brings a question. He brings a question. Why are you crying? Why are you crying? And it's a question that invites Mary here to listen very deeply to her own pain. Very deeply. It's something that is so hard for us to do. So hard. And may I say, especially for guys. Especially for guys. It's so hard sometimes just to stop and to hear this question at the point of our own pain. Why are you crying? And our avoidance of our own pain has so many offshoots. I think that's why we're an addictive society. Let's just go shopping. Let's have another drink. Let me work harder. Let me just work harder. Let me go to work earlier. Let me come back late. Let me just fall into bed. Let me get up to... Let's, let me just keep... Just let me numb the pain. I can't face it. Can't deal with it. Or I think sometimes we just become very angry. I come from a country that has experienced enormous trauma. Enormous trauma. Right across the board. The levels of pain are very, very deep. We are an angry people. You can notice it by the way we drive sometimes on the road. And I really mean that. The loss of life on South African roads is terrifying. Terrifying. And it's anger. It's anger that hasn't been faced, hasn't been shared. And it's very deep. And it's into this that Christ comes with a question. Why? Why are you crying? And it's almost to say, Lord, can I have the courage to put words to the pain that I do carry? Can I put words to it? It's almost as if Jesus here, I, I'm a, how he, he listens Mary into speaking. He encourages Mary to find words for her tears. Why are you crying? Why are you crying? It's not rhetorical. It's not a rhetorical question. It's a real question. And Mary finds words. I'm crying because they've taken my Lord away 
and I do not know where they put me. How would you end that sentence for yourself this afternoon? I'm crying because. What would be the second part of that sentence for you this afternoon? I'm crying because I wake up every day and it's really, really dark and bleak in my life. I'm crying because my partner and I just don't connect any longer and I don't know what to do. I'm crying because I don't know what's happening to my kids and I'm scared for them and I'm worried that they're going to hurt themselves. I'm crying because my job seems to be going nowhere and my sense of vocation I've lost and there is nothing that I live for anymore. I'm crying because the one that held me and I held, I'm no longer with. I'm crying because they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. How would you end that sentence today? As Christ meets us, as he meets Mary, And that same question comes to us. Why are you crying? What would that sentence look like for you? I am crying because. And in two or three minutes, I just want you to write down, I'm not going to ask you to share that sentence. You don't need to do this. But I wonder if I can invite you to write that sentence down, maybe. Uh, You can just put words there that maybe make no sense to anyone else, but you know what, what they mean. And so in the silence, I invite you to hear this question personally addressed to you. And I'm inviting a response uh, from you. And so we are quiet just for a few moments. Lord, I am crying because.
I want you to notice the third movement. It's the one of hope. I want you to notice how Mary shares what's going on with the risen Lord. And in that sharing of herself with him, she opens herself up to a remarkable series of experiences with the Lord. I want to encourage something here that I hope will be helpful. I want to encourage you as much as I can to pray your pain, to give words to it and to bring it to Christ with words. Often when I say this, people will say to me, Trevor, but why do that? Christ already knows. And I want to say that what we're doing now, it's not about giving Christ information that he doesn't have. Does that make sense? It's not about that at all. That when I begin to pray my pain, when I begin to put words, and when I begin to verbally share that with the risen Lord, it's not about information. It's about giving him access into an area of my life where his grace and his mercy can begin to move. Does that make sense? I always tell a story here because it, it was a it was a parabolic moment for me. My daughter uh, was going to get married, and she did get married, but this was just before her marriage. It was about four years ago now, and two months before the wedding date, uh, she went cycling uh, with her fiancé, uh, who's a Baptist, so you will pray for me, and uh, wonderful guy, and... Uh, they went cycling, and five minutes into their cycling experience, uh, she hit a pothole uh, very badly, came off her bike. And I got the call that she was in ICU, and I needed to get there immediately. And I remember that Saturday morning must have been the longest drive of my life. And I remember when I walked into that ward and just seen her there, I knew she wasn't going to get married. I just knew that. Uh, she had broken... Um, her jaw in two places. Um, the, I knew there had to be a lot of reconstruction uh, to her cheekbones. It was, I just knew she wasn't going to get married. Uh, and so began an 18-month period of recovery where she had to have you know, kind of wired up and my son-in-law couldn't kiss her. And he, and he hung around and he won my heart forever. Uh, but then about six months into her recovery period, she had to have a massive operation, um, restructuring her jaw, and I knew it petrified her. I knew that. I'm her father. I knew she was scared. And I'll never forget that. On that Sunday, just before she went in, she went in on a Wednesday, she came to hear me preach, which was a great gift that she gave me. 
and uh, she came and I saw her sitting there. And after the service, now I know she's scared. I know that. I'm her father. And she came across and I was standing uh, at the bottom of the stage where I usually stand. Um, And she came and she just put her head here. And she said these words to me. She said, Dad, I'm very, very scared. Now, in that moment, I do not say to her, you don't have to tell me, I know. I don't say that to her. That's not my response. It's not about information. What is she doing in that moment? She's giving me access to her life. She's opening up an experience of her life so that my love for her, my, which I do have, can enter into that area. And there are things that begin to happen that otherwise would not have happened because she's done that. Our relationship begins to follow a different trajectory into the future had she not shared. It's exactly the same as we come to Christ with our tears, as we pray our pain, as we put words to our tears. We are opening up a dimension of experience where his grace can begin to be more operative in our lives and our relationship goes off in a different trajectory. It's interesting what happens to Mary, isn't it, after that moment? She hears her name being called Mary. And in that moment she discovers again that at the heart of this universe there is a great longing, a great longing for her, a great longing. Mary, Mary, A great longing. She thinks he's the gardener. And of course he's the gardener. (laughs) Of course. I, I think of all the terrible sermons I preached about how stupid Mary was. She really got it right. (laughs) She really did. You think gardener? What do you think of? You think Genesis immediately. Huh? You think Adam and Eve and the mess. Huh? Of course Christ is the God, the one who brings new creation and who begins to plant little seeds in all our pain. Just little seeds of new beginnings. Of new beginnings. The new Adam. Of course he's the God. Now I'm sorry Mary. (laughs) She's given a ministry. She's given a ministry out of tears. So often, so often in our tears, there are the seeds of a new calling, a new calling, a new vocation. And sometimes our deepest, deepest ministry to others is a ministry that has been shaped by the experience of our own heartache and our own heartbreak. So often, 
the seeds of calling are placed in the context of our own pain and heartache. And so, perhaps we can have a moment, talk to the Lord. You're not giving information. You're opening up access. You're giving access. Maybe for your name to be called. For you to have a sense of a great love that will never, ever let you go. A sense of the new Adam, the agent of new creation who is Jesus, planting just little seeds, little seeds maybe, of new life. Maybe a sense of calling, buried in your own heartache and your own heartbreak. Well, there you have it. If you'd like to hear another talk from Trevor, check out the June 11th, 2018 episode. It actually fits really well with this particular talk. And of course, Trevor has written a number of books. And earlier this month, we released a conversation I had with him discussing his Lenten devotional resource titled Pauses for Lent. He's also written one for Advent and Pentecost. As always, thank you so much for listening and have a great week.